our lives, we've been told to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and you'll be set. How's that working out for you? I'm Tavana Denise, physical therapist turned life and business coach, and I'm on a mission to help you create a life you love and a business on your terms. If you want more time, more freedom, more flexibility, I can help you create it. Welcome to Breaking Protocol, the show for women in healthcare who want more. I have a big treat for you today because I am joined by Brenda Lomelli, master life coach and certified holistic nutritionist and former occupational therapist. Over the past few years, Brenda has helped hundreds of women create a loving and empowered relationship with food and their weight, helping women create results they love on their own terms. She left her full-time career as an occupational therapist four years ago to pursue her dream as an entrepreneur, building a multiple six-figure business, soon to be seven figures, doing what she is determined to do, equip millions of women from all walks of life to completely put an end to their struggle with weight. Brenda, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Honestly, I'm really, really excited for our conversation. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Because you and I met at the Life Coach School Mastermind about two years ago when I realized that I really wanted to serve rehab professionals who wanted to leverage their degrees to make money without going back to school or opening a clinic. And so when I started telling everyone there, they started telling me who the OTs and PTs were, which was so fun. And yeah. they, they told me about you, but I don't think I ever knew this, even though I had seen your name before, because you had already left patient care and yeah. you were running your business full time by then. So can you tell me, how did you make that transition and what were your biggest struggles moving from life as a healthcare professional to a full-time coach? Yeah. You know, the transition, looking back at it, honestly, I would do it again the same way. I was pretty strategic in my approach. But I have to say too, like, I, I remember meeting you as well. And because my husband's a PT. So we met right. in Los Angeles. It's probably been like six-ish years now. I won't do the math, but <laughs> he's a PT. We met working downtown LA at a rehab nursing facility. And anyways, I remember meeting you because I remember thinking I had already left my job. And I mean, I've been doing this now for over four years. And when I say this, I mean my own coaching practice. And I've been doing this full time. And like you said, no more patient care. But my, when I met you, my husband, he was in that phase where he's like, man, I'm like so tired. I'm so burnt out. Like you get burned out or at least this was my experience. And this was his at the time as well, like burned out with a patient documentation and like not really being given enough time to do it. And like, for me, I always hated clocking in and clocking out. Like literally, you know, that machine where you have to go put your finger to like get clocked in. Yeah. I mean, I love being my own boss now. And even though the transition I will say was scary and challenging. Like literally I felt terrified, even though I do think I did it very well. And, and I'll explain like how I did it, mm -hmm. but I don't want it to sound like it was easy and unicorns and rainbows floating around everywhere. And it felt peaceful. You mean it wasn't? No, it wasn't. It was terrifying, especially the last like three to four weeks where I was going to have any time at, at the job. I literally didn't sleep. Literally. I, I couldn't because there was so much fear. 
Like I'm not going to have a paycheck. Had you already put in your notice at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, okay, let me tell you how I did it. I will say like, I was a really great OT and I worked, I worked in a little bit of pediatrics, but mostly I worked in skilled nursing facilities. Like I mentioned in LA and I was never a director of a department because honestly, I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to be in charge of doing people's schedules. And I saw all the directors and I was like, "Mm -mm, like not for me, but I actually, this is really interesting. I worked myself up to a director's pay without the director position because I was, I know I wish the listeners could see your face. Cause you're like, what? My brain is like, how did you do that? Yeah. I mean, to describe it very simply, I was really great at getting things done on time. And I know a lot of people do that. It's probably a super oversimplifying it. And it probably was a combination too of just like the space and time. Like at that time, the area that I was working at, like OTs were in really high demand. And I was consistent and I did really good work and I did all my work on time. And it was so interesting to see like a lot of people didn't do all those things. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was just like, that's just how I work. Like, right. I get things done. I do it done well, but it's so interesting that as I'm saying this to you, like, I feel that when I first became an OT, I loved my work. And then I don't know if everyone has this experience because you do a lot of this work and work with a lot of healthcare professionals and rehab professionals. But when I first became an OT was back in like 2008, Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering my timeline correctly. So then 10-ish years later, a little bit less than that. Anyways, I get mixed up with the timelines, but towards the end of it, I felt like my role had changed so much. Like I wasn't doing so much patient care. I really was feeling more like a pen pusher. I don't know if people have that experience. Like I feel like, yeah, I feel like the role of what an OT does, or at least in the places I was at, the places and spaces I was at was really changing. And I no longer liked it. I was like, I hate this. I hate that I'm not really spending time with my patients that I feel that I don't really have time with my patients. That's what I really wanted to do when I became an OT. And so once I eventually decided this is not what I want to do, like it's no longer what I want to do. And I decided that I did want to go and start my own business. And I got certified as a life coach. I put in place a one-year transition plan. (laughs) This is my long way of answering your question. And so my one-year transition plan is I went to the owner of like the company or the facilities or whatever. This ties into like me having made myself so valuable in that role Mm -hmm. that like they didn't want to lose me. So I essentially said like, look, here's my plan. I am going to eventually leave and start my own business. But if you'll work with me, I would like to phase out. And basically the plan was within that next year, I was going to go from 40 hours to 30 hours and then from 30 hours to 25 and then to 20 and then to 15 so that they could essentially like have time to basically replace me. And yeah. And as I was phasing out my OT time, I was phasing in like, okay, I'll add one more private coaching client and then like another one and then another one. But I did have a timeline and my timeline was by March of 2016. I remember it very clearly, no matter what, like no matter if I have my own private clients or not, like I will leave my OT job. And so it's like I had a plan in place and I worked with my colleagues slash boss and I had that plan in place, but I also had a deadline to where, all right, no matter what things are looking like, I'm going to do this. And so 
it's kind of like a combo of having a strategy, but also having a date for like, I'm going to take this leap. Because I knew that once that day came, like it was going to feel scary, no matter how much of a plan I had made, Mm -hmm. it was still going to feel scary because I was going to go into doing something totally new. Like it was such an odd feeling, like not having to go to work and like clock in here I am at home and doing my work from home. It just, it's such a new thing. It's like uncharted territory. So yeah, that's essentially was my transition plan. And what was the scariest part for you about, like you had made up your mind in March, yeah, 2016, it was happening, but yeah. like the weeks prior to when your heart was beating hard and couldn't sleep, what was going through your mind? What was the scariest part for you? So why it felt scary is because I definitely had the thought like, what if this doesn't work? What if I'm not able to pay my bills? What if I can't replace my income? I really thought also, what if I go bankrupt and go into debt and like went down that road of what ifs, what ifs, what if, Mm -hmm. where your brain kind of goes a little crazy with all the different catastrophes that could happen. (laughs) Right. The way that I was able to keep myself moving forward, even though all those fears were there and they felt very real. Like when I'm telling you that I couldn't sleep those last couple of weeks, like I really couldn't literally felt like terror and panic. But I also tried to give equal airtime to, but what if this is amazing? And like, what if this could be exactly what I am have been dreaming of? And now four years later, I really could tell you like, this is amazing. Like this is beyond what I had ever dreamed about. I'm getting goosebumps right now, just telling you, but it required me to navigate through all the murky waters of the fear and the doubt, even splash around and swim around in it. <laughs> But like you're still swimming, you know, I'm still moving forward though. Yeah, I love how you were saying that you gave equal airtime to the what if this is amazing and what if it does work and all of these things. Because I can remember right before I actually made the decision to like, here's my resignation letter. Because my transition was a little bit different. I had plans, but COVID changed those plans. And then it was like, all of a sudden, the rugs ripped out from under you. And now you got to see, can you fly? You kind of got pushed off the... (laughs) Yeah, pushed off the cliff. And it's like, okay, fly birdie, fly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're right. You have all of these thoughts. And I'm like flabbergasted by what has happened. Just keep moving. Mm -hmm. even though you have those thoughts. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't feel like equal airtime, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely is an intentional thing. Like if I notice myself, my imagination's kind of going wild on all the quote unquote negative disastrous things that could happen. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but what if it's a huge success and what if it's exactly what I want it to be? And yeah, that's so cool. Did you have a full caseload or what you would consider a full caseload in your coaching practice before you left? No, I can think back to March, 2016. I had three, three clients. I had three or four also. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I had a a few, but once I left my job that month, it, it was interesting to see like my mindset really be like, okay, this is it all my energy, all my focus, all my efforts are going towards making more offers, towards getting on the phone with more people, towards having more consultations and closing more sales. And I believe it wasn't too long after that, that I definitely started having like breakthrough revenue months. And I think it's because just the focus was all there. Like, all right, I'm all focused on this. Right. 
as opposed to like, oh, I still got to go to work. I got to see this patient, that patient, clock in, do these evals. Be upset after work. Yeah, like even the drive to work and then back, especially in LA, like that takes up a you know, chunk of time. I can't um, even imagine. So you finally make the decision and you go ahead and let go of that. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you get a bunch of time and, and mental space back. 100%. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that I loved about when we first met in the, those earlier conversations at the mastermind was, and if I'm misremembering, let me know. But yeah. I think you were telling me your program about the last 10 pounds was something like $8,000 for a group coaching program. And I was like, what? You yeah. could charge that much money? Because I, I started out as a weight coach and I think the most I ever charged was three for one-on-one coaching. So I was like, wait a minute, you can charge that much for a group program and these women are loving it. They're getting great results and all of those things. So one, am I misremembering? Definitely wasn't 8,000. I actually believe my pricing is very similar mm-hmm. now. So it was either four or 5,000. Okay. Which is Even still, still like- My brain was like, what? I'm doing all of this one-on-one with people and you have a group program doing that. I guess my question is, how did you build the confidence to charge that amount for group coaching? And why do you think it's so challenging for women, all women, but especially BIPOC women to be okay with getting paid well for the work they do? Oh, yeah, because by the way, I haven't meant I don't think we've mentioned this, but I am first generation Mexican American. So I'm Mm -hmm. Latina, Mexicana. I definitely fit in that category. Right. And very proud and honored too. But yeah, there's a whole lot of uh, working through limiting beliefs about self worth and like money, money, just thoughts about money and beliefs about money and what you can charge, etc, etc. But yeah, you know what, how did I do that? It really was a process. I remember I first started charging $8.99. It might have, honestly, it might have even been $6.99. It was one of those two. Mm-hmm. Like I could probably go back and look at my records and tell you, but I mean, $6.99, $8.99. And given it wasn't a, my full six month program that it is now, but my clients were still getting the results. Mm-hmm. And you can probably, even as I'm sharing with you, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty big on the baby steps. <laughs> so here's what I would do. My first client, in fact, my very first client actually only paid me 20 bucks per session, but this was before I had my program. Mm-hmm. But when I started this program that I have still have now, of course, it's much more developed and, and rich and fine-tuned and whatever, but it was either $6.99 or $8.99. And what I did for myself is that I told myself, okay, I'm going to sell this at this price. And then the next person that I sign on will be a little bit more and then a little bit more. And I literally worked my belief. Mm-hmm. And I really also have been always very committed to bringing my A game as a coach to my clients and do whatever it is on my part that I can do as their guide, because of course their results are always up to them. But like, what else do I need to do? What else does my client need? What else information do I need to provide, et cetera, so that I literally am guaranteeing their results, right? If As long as they show up, they will change this part of their life. I'm always thinking on that level. In fact, I still am, which is why I've had so much success with my clients and like have raving fans and all of that. And so really I'm like building a brand. And you know what? Also, I just thought about this now. I remember even when I would do consultation calls, 
even then, even when I only had like a few clients when I was first getting started, when I would show up to those consultation calls, my mindset about that was like, I am building a brand. So even if they don't sign up, I'm going to bring my A game because I want their experience as they are coming in contact with me, what I teach with my brand, that it helped them to take at least one step forward towards what they want. And so mm. that's been like how I've continued to show up. And so anyways, I built from like $8.99 and then like that client would have some awesome results. And so that you build like another testimonial, right? Like mm -hmm. another person that can also be like, oh my gosh, working with this person or using this process really helped me. And so then you're slowly building your brand. And then for me on like the sales end, mm -hmm. The next time I would get on the phone with a new person, I'd be like, oh, and my program is 1200, right? And then 1500 <laughs> and then 1800. And that obviously was just me, like each time, like building my confidence and growing my belief. I love the idea that we can grow our belief about anything, kind of the same way you grow a little plant, you know, like you keep mm -hmm. watering it and it can just keep growing you know, someone doesn't have to create a program overnight and be able to charge five grand or whatever for it overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they could, that's not the way it happened for me. And I, I think from observing other people as well, like that's not the way it usually happens. It usually Ever. does happen where like, you know, I did so much one-on-one -on -one coaching before I ever had a group or an actual program with curriculum. And like, I just recently created my actual proprietary framework, which is so awesome. But like, there's been a lot of learning along the way. Yeah, it's, it's like a continuum. You just continue to build your confidence. But I will say that it's always been very deliberate. It's like, okay, now the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, at this point, like I've really have done a lot of scaling in my business, especially in the past like year and a half. And so right now I really love my price point. It's actually not much different, but my business has scaled and there's so many things that are different. For example, I don't do one-on-one -on -one calls anymore. Like people basically just apply and then they sign up. And so every element of it is completely scalable. Mm -hmm. And so at that same price point, I'm able to serve a lot more people with much less of my time invested, if that makes sense. Oh, and so it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Right. But I love how you, you said deliberate, but one of my favorite phrases, like slow walking things. So yeah. you, you look at it, you up level to the next. And I appreciate you so much talking about what it was like for you in the beginning, but because so many people look at and you and I are not even finished products, but they look at us and they're like, oh, this is the finished product. So I must either do what they're doing or I can't do it at all. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such a big tragedy because yeah. we lose so many people that could be sharing their gifts and helping others. So because you're a weight loss coach, like how did you get past if you had it, any comparisonitis or comparing to other people? Oh my gosh. You know, what's so funny. I actually had a coach once tell me, cause there's so many people that coach on weight loss. Uh, yeah. So many yeah. people in health, wellness, weight loss. Yeah. Okay. This is so funny. Cause I actually had a coach tell me that I should change my niche or what I'm doing because there's already so many weight loss coaches. And I was like, um, no, I'm not going to change what I'm doing. And the thing is like my work that I do is very, it's very mission driven. Like there's a reason that I do what I do. It's not just because I want to make money. Although obviously I have been very committed and strategic about doing so. Right. And like mm -hmm. my growth as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. 
and that will continue to be so. But the reason that I even like had the courage to leave my job is because my reason for doing so was so compelling because of my own personal experience. Like I struggled with my weight and with food for a couple decades. And like, just to give you a little snapshot of what I mean by that, at my heaviest, I weighed almost 200 pounds, 197 actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I am not a tall person by any means. So here's the thing, like 197 for different people can mean different things. But like, I remember that did not feel good for me. In fact, I remember being in a parking lot. I mean, really, it was like a rock bottom moment for me. And it was also like an aha moment, like something needs to change. I remember being in a parking lot and I needed to tie my shoe and I was about to get out of my car and I literally couldn't really breathe. And I felt just like I couldn't even really tie my shoe. Like it was hard to tie my shoe. And at that point, I was like, this is not good. Like, I, I want to change something. And I mean, I could tell you so much more, but then I like would gain and lose the same 30 to 50 pounds multiple, multiple times over. And then there was even a point where I had lost a bunch of weight, all of the weight that I wanted to lose, in fact, but then was terrified and filled with fear and anxiety because what I still needed to learn is that it was my relationship to food and to my weight and to myself that needed to change and not necessarily the weight in and of itself itself wasn't the solution. Like mm. it was my relationship to food because it, for me, it was such an emotional thing. You know, every time that I did gain, you know, 30 or 50 pounds or 15 pounds or whatever, it was always because I didn't have the tools to navigate through challenging moments in my life with something other than emotional eating. And so it just was this huge struggle part for me. So anyways, once I like learned that there are other ways to take care of yourself mentally, like take care of your brain and take care of your emotions, that was how I finally put an end to my weight struggle mm -hmm. and actually was able to change that part of my life. And so when someone says to me like, oh, you know, maybe you should pick another thing because there's already too many coaches that do this. I'm like, no, I am on a mission here. I struggled okay. with this for decades and I have found a solution and I'm on a mission to help other women. And so my personal goals as an entrepreneur to reach certain revenues, et cetera, is like a fun thing for me. And it keeps mm -hmm. me growing and evolving, which I love. But what I teach on and the work that I'm doing, I mean, I really feel like it's a part of why I'm here. It doesn't matter to me how many other people are doing it because this is what I want to do. And just more recently in the past year, year and a half or so, another answer that I'll add on to that is, yeah, there are a lot of people doing it, but no one else can speak on it like me. Specifically, you know, we're talking BIPOC mm -hmm. as a woman of color, <laughs> like, you know, there are a lot of women in the wellness space, especially that don't look like me. I mean, it's a space that I think, I mean, I don't know if you have a, a similar perspective or experience, but I think can feel very like monochromatic, <laughs> you know, like, yes, kind of same color. <laughs> <laughs> to put it simply, and I'm like, I actually can't think of any other person that teaches on weight loss process that is empowering in the way that I do, you know, like as a Latina and first generation Mexican American, like there's so much about food that is so cultural and there's so many traditions, yes. that whole element 
I had to tease that out for myself because I learned, so I got certified through the life coach school as did you. And so I learned life coaching tools from Brooke Castillo, who's our mentor, Mm -hmm. but there's this whole like part of my life that I had to go and apply the model to. And I'm talking specifically like cultural, racial, et cetera, that I didn't, she didn't teach that to me in that area because she can't, because she is not a woman of color and she is, doesn't have like all those Mexican food cultures and traditions or whatever, you know? And so I had to take the tools that she taught me or that I learned as a life coach and then bring them into my own experience. And so to answer your question, I mean, like everyone's so different. The answer is twofold is like, I'm on a mission, so it doesn't matter who else is doing it Mm -hmm. because this is something that I want to do and I'm so driven to do. And also no one else can do it and speak to it the way I'm speaking to it. And I literally see that in the statistics, like how many health and wellness coaches that you know that are women of color compared to the numbers of like life coaches, wellness coaches, weight coaches, et cetera, that aren't women of color. Like the numbers are are disproportionate. Right. And I'll say too, the one last thing is that uh, on that is that honestly, like I used to think of this piece of myself as almost like the tone police and kind of essentially whitewash the parts of me, like the way that I would really say this or teach this Uh, because people might see it as like being tacky or cheap or ghetto and like it not be valuable. And -hmm. you know what, in the past, like, especially year, year and a half or so, I'm like, oh no, no, like this is literally marketing power. Like whatever makes you different, we usually think like, oh, I need to hide that part, you know? And now I'm like, no, no, this is literally marketing power because there are so many are areas of the marketplace that are not being served that don't feel they can relate because so-and-so who teaches this doesn't understand what it's like to go to a family party and like literally you're almost being bullied to like eat the food (laughs) that like whatever, yeah, like whatever aunt made or whatever. Right, you're going to hurt their feelings. Yeah. In like that very, you know, like for me, it's like that very Latin kind of family dynamic, you know, but in different cultures, it's, it's a little bit different, of course, but like, I can totally speak on that. Like I had to tease that stuff out. Yeah. I had to tease that stuff out so I can teach on it. And, and so like now I really look at how I'm different really is my superpower. It's not something to edit or wash out yes. or water down. And no, it's like something to turn the volume up on that. And then like, honestly, like once I really saw that and had that epiphany, I'm like, it's actually also so much more fun because people get like the full version of you that feels so much more relatable, right? Instead of like kind of robotic, like, you know. (laughs) This is what I should say and insert this phrase here. Yeah. And then all the life coaches and all the people end up sounding so similar and the same. And this is a work in progress, always ongoing learning. But yeah, I'm pretty pumped about this and how fun it's been to like not edit and not wash out or, or, you know, wash, wash down. Is that how you say it? Tone down. Tone (laughs) Tone down. down. Yeah. Yeah, Not, not tone things, even things like that. Like I used to be so afraid of, cause I actually went to grade school in Mexico. Like sometimes, sometimes I would think like, oh my gosh. What if I remember, or I can't remember the word in English or whatever. And now I'm like, so what? Like, I could just say, you know, oh, what's that word? Like, and that's so relatable, you know, because it's real. It's like, I grew up in two cultures, essentially. 
And, and, and like I speak two languages and like sometimes I can't think of that one word, but I also speak a whole nother language. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it's like really what makes you different when you tap into that, it doesn't matter how many other people are doing what you, what you quote unquote want to do. Right. You bring a flair and a personality and a culture and a background that no one else would. Maybe it's your age range, where, where you yeah. came from. And I, I love that you went there because you are so bold in some of the things you say and then the way you dress. If you have not seen <laughs> Brenda's Instagram profile, you have to check it out. It's super inspiring. And it makes me think a couple of things, like where you said it's your marketing power and you've also mentioned your brand and that can, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But I do think about visibility in mm -hmm. this case for women, Latinas, African-Americans, healthcare professionals. Yeah. There are so many messages telling us to be quiet, to be good, to dress a certain way, to present yeah. a certain way in public. So what are your thoughts about that? And how did you overcome them? So did you like, I know you said it's a process, but yeah. if there were like a couple of key things that you think you did that if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, she can do it, but I can't, or I'm a, especially those that are like, yeah, but I'm a healthcare professional. And that wouldn't be professional to do that. Like, what would you say? What are your thoughts about that? Or what would you say to that person? Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things you said is like, yeah, but that's her and I, I can't do it. I mean, I, I want to take you back with me a little bit to, you know, I told you I struggled with my weight and with food and I will say also body image. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you an example right now that is very literal, literal about not wanting to be seen. At some point along that journey, I remember because I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona, and this is actually where I grew up. But like, if you don't know about Phoenix, like it gets hot here. So hot, triple digit weather. We get into the 115s or whatever, like it's hot. This is how much I in the past did not want to be seen. And I think it was literal and figurative, but also literal. It would be the hot summer and I would put on like, I don't know if you remember like those old Nike, like big poofy jackets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, those big poofy jackets. I had a big poofy jacket like that. It was like, it had the big Nike sign on it. And it would be the summer here in Phoenix. And I would put one of those on because literally didn't want anyone to see me, like to see my body. I felt that inadequate. I do not want you to see me. So even though it's hot as hell, I'm going to wear this jacket. Mm -hmm. And just like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, it's, it's literal. Like I literally put, was putting on that jacket, but like what I was believing in order to have done that, right. Mm -hmm. I was putting on that jacket because I was believing, okay, if I put this on, like, then people won't see me. And also was believing like, I'm not worthy of being seen. Like I'm so inadequate that people shouldn't look at my body. And so I need to like hide to that degree. Like it was that hot. And it was that bulky of a jacket. Yeah. And so for anyone thinking like, oh, well, she can do it, but I can't do it. I love that example. And I love sharing it because like you said, Tavana, like if you look at my Instagram now, I very much on purpose. I'm like, let me post this picture. That's maybe a little ratchet, <laughs> like <laughs> maybe a little scandalous because for me, especially going through this whole process of losing weight, et cetera. You know, I gave the example earlier about how at one point in my own weight journey, my body image journey, et cetera, I was like super, super thin, but felt the most insecure and still felt really inadequate and like didn't trust myself. And so for me, that's such a powerful message. Like 
to be able to go from, I literally feel so inadequate that I don't want you to see me and I'm afraid to be seen and don't want to be seen to now be someone that's like, look at me (laughs) and like have whatever opinion you want. And this is what I tell my clients, like, listen, if you just want a coat that you're just going to lose some weight, but then at that lower weight, you're still going to feel like insecure and like critical and not good enough on like my program is not for you. I, with my clients and in the work that I do with myself, it was about figuring out how to make choices for me that I was taking great care of myself, but also like not being afraid anymore. And just being like, this is Brenda and like getting to that point where I don't have to hide my body. I don't, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is how I think. This is what I believe. This is what I'm doing. Um, These are my goals. This is what I want. And like, people will have opinions. Either way. Either way. People will have opinions. I think that that's what so many women really want. That so many people really want. For me, it feels like freedom. It feels like freedom. And it feels so powerful to be like, yep, this is what I believe. This is what I want. This is what I'm doing. This is me in short shorts. Like this is me and whatever. Like I'm not hiding my body. I'm also not going to hide my goals. I'm not going to hide my message. I'm not going to hide what I believe. I think that's the being seen. It's like that. It really is a lot of having your own back because like if I'm good with all of it, then people can have opinions and uh, and that's fine. And I think even for me personally, I would hear Brooke and I would hear you and I would hear other people say, have your own back. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. How the heck do you do that? (laughs) It's really just one of those things where you just decide. Yeah. Whatever I say goes and it's okay Mm because I I guess the only other way to say it is I have my own back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've been observing too, 2020 has been like, I mean, at least this is what I've observed. It's been such a year of this where, and and I know like people say, you know, there's, there's so much division, like it's been so divisive or whatever. I totally see that by the way. I also see how like brands, I'm talking from the brand perspective, brands have had to take a stand on stuff. Brands Mm -hmm. have had to take a stand because there's all these different issues and perspectives and things. Like things that normally you could just be like, oh, we just don't, are not going to talk about that. Right. Now it's like, no, like, what is your perspective? What is your stand? Right. Like people want to know, because also like I may or may not buy from you, depending on what your stand is on, on that issue. I actually think this has been really cool to see this from brands. And I've been learning about this for my own brand. When a brand does this, it is like this magnet effect of you're either repelling or attracting. Like, you know how magnets, like you're mm-hmm. either super attractive to something or you're like, nope. Like, <laughs> right. Repel, you right? force them to touch. Yeah. Yeah. That's what one thing that I think has been really cool. Like I can geek out on the business, like the marketing branding stuff this year, even Sesame Street. Yeah. Okay. That's an example. I remember Sesame Street took a stand on like the racial justice issues. Like I remember on Instagram, they made this post. I can't remember what they said, but I was like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Like good for you, Sesame Street. And it might be something that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have really stated before, but like they make that statement they take a stand and then their audience might be like, I now love Sesame Street even more. That was me. But then some other people might be like, you know what? We're not watching Sesame Street anymore. (laughs) You know? And that's fine too. 
Yeah. And so all of that to say, Tavana, is that, you know, when you're building your own thing, what I've really learned is that visibility and that willingness to take a stand on, you get to decide what you take a stand on, of course, Mm -hmm. but it's like staying neutral on everything and wanting to people please everyone and almost be like very vanilla about everything, which is what I tried to do in the beginning because I am a, in the past have been for sure like a people pleaser. And now it's like, "Mm, no, that doesn't work, especially not for business. It doesn't repel people, but it also doesn't have that magnetic appeal. What are you about? Yeah. When you talked about people pleasing, and and that's probably not probably is definitely why I came up with this breaking protocol concept for the the podcast is I think so many of us women, especially and people in healthcare get roped into you have to play inside the lines, you have to follow this pathway or protocol. And so it becomes this thing where we're not only we were afraid to be seen, and we're afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people want to, quote, play it safe and do the vanilla and try to please everybody. So what do you think we could do if we're afraid of making mistakes? But obviously you, for a branding perspective and having the marketing power that you talked about, you really need to be your 100% authentic self. What, What could people do? Yeah, I mean, honestly, from the entrepreneur even when you said that, I'm like, oh, I literally just expect mistakes are a part of every day. <laughs> you know, I mentioned that I'm like a recovered people pleaser, or whatever. I also would say I'm like a recovered perfectionist and, and the business building was a big part of that, but also working through the, the, the weight stuff in my relationship with food. But I think the conversation around business building is more relevant here, of course, is that, I mean, when I was trying to be perfect at everything, I was never, I wasn't doing anything. Like I wasn't having any clients. Like I would never post the blog. I wouldn't publish the website because nothing was ever good enough. Mm. And my fear of something being being wrong or not perfect just kept me paralyzed, really. It kept me stuck. Perfection is so sticky. And I know you're not talking about perfection, but I mean, when, when we are, you know, when we are really focused on like not getting something wrong, that's what we're doing in a sense is like, I want it to be perfect. I want everything I do, every decision I make to be, I just got to make the right decision. Like there's the right thing. We could also say that, like we're wanting everything we do to be perfect and to not make mistakes. And one of the biggest shifts, one of the most important shifts that had it's made me the most money is that it's like, nope, like I'm going to make mistakes every week, every day, probably. But you know what? I keep moving forward. And it's so much faster because that's really the only way you learn the stuff that doesn't work. And then figuring out that the stuff that does work, it's messy. It's a messy process like success. In fact, I just did a podcast about this. I talked about how success literally comes with failure. Like I think of them as a package deal. And so if I want success and really, I do believe it's a package deal. Like if you can imagine like you know, a literal gift box with like a bow on it and everything. And you want the success that's in there. The failure is in there too. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, you had this concept. I got to hear you talk about creating a learning environment for yourselves and like creating it and like, what is yours? And that was so fascinating to me being, I'm right in the boat with you with the high achiever and get all the things done. And so- can you talk a little bit about creating that learning environment and, and just how we talk to ourselves as high achievers, as healthcare professionals, and how that's kind of keeping us stuck? 
Yeah. Well, you know, we could kind of just keep looking at this, at this metaphor, I guess, of the gift box with the success and the failure. Like what happens is that, you know, most of us are pretty critical. I mean, my brain, I'll tell you right now, like my brain does the same thing. It it tends to want to be like, oh, but look at this. You could have done this better. You could have done this better. Why aren't you doing this yet? But I, I catch it and I notice it. But when the perspective shifts from when we are learning things like making failure mean that there's something wrong with us. And instead, when you look at it as part of what it means to learn, then I think, you know, you can be the person that is facilitating like, okay, I am creating a learning space for myself. You know, just the same way that a teacher does for her students, especially if I'm going to be a person that is always setting a new goal or a bigger goal. For me, I'm like, that's fun. Like it's fun to set goals and to have goals. For me, it's part of what gives me purpose and meaning. And it's, yeah, it's fun. It's exciting, but it's actually way more fun and exciting when we're not like beating ourselves down (laughs) all the time for like, oh, why didn't you do this better? You didn't do this right. But this whole idea of creating your own learning space, it really is you step into that role of like, okay okay, if I'm going to set big goals or I'm going to set this goal or that goal, I'm going to create a space for myself where I do allow myself to learn. You know, I gave the example before of when a child is learning how to walk. We think about it like a toddler, you know, learning how to walk. They spend most of the time at the beginning falling versus standing. Yeah. In fact, I read, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember. There's, there's a number. I can't remember what the number is. But it's super interesting. Like when you see the number, you're like, oh my gosh, there's actually an average number of times a toddler falls when a day per day when they're learning how to walk. It's a lot. I think it's like 600. It's like, what? Yeah. I mean, I might be saying the wrong number, but I remember my reaction to it was like, whoa, they fall that many times. So anyways, that supports this idea that like they spend more time falling (laughs) than they're spending actually upright and walking And by the way, your PT listeners are going to be like, Brenda's getting this all wrong, but just take the (laughs) analogy for what it's worth. Like take the main message from it. I don't remember the numbers on that, but it was like, when I saw that number, I was like, well, maybe it was 60. Okay. Maybe, but still like how many times are we willing to get it wrong? This is something that I've been thinking about since we had that conversation and I'm like, okay, so that's the failing part. And then also. The little toddler is not like, okay, mom, with the pen and pad, how do I walk again? Yeah. Little toddler just is like, I'll figure it out. You just do this right here and try this and shift this way. You know, I mean, obviously it doesn't have language yet, but it's like fascinating that intuitively this little human being knows how to figure out how to do this thing it's never done just by doing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So you just said it, right? Like we learn things by doing them. So if you're going to learn to be an entrepreneur, we learn entrepreneurship by doing it. And of course we can have teachers and mentors and join masterminds and hire coaches. And I absolutely, I mean, I'm a coach, so I believe in that. I always have like at least two coaches, right? At any given time. Right. But I love what you said. Like they're not there with the notebook in the sense of we can have mentors and coaches, et cetera, but still the only way you're going to learn it for you is by doing it. You can't bypass the doing it part or the failing part. 
because <laughs> it comes with the success. And so this idea of creating your own learning spaces, it is like, okay, if I've decided that I'm going to learn the skill, the skill of entrepreneurship, of running a business or whatever it is, or maybe you're just shifting something in your career, or like stepping into a new position, like whatever it might be, what kind of space am I going to create for myself as I learn? Is it going to be like supportive? Am I going to be a jerk to myself? Am I going to be impatient? Am I going to be like my biggest cheerleader? Am I going to be compassionate? Like, okay, like you'll get it next time, sweetie. You know, whatever, whatever it right. sounds like for you. I mean, for me that I, I feel like that's one of my biggest roles as an entrepreneur is creating my learning space for myself. Cause there's a whole lot of learning happening all the time, especially, like I said, if you're always going to set a next goal. Mm -hmm. then that means we're always learning. So like, how do I hold that space for myself as I learn? Right. You know, yeah, success definitely comes with failure. So I'm just like, oh yeah, it's just part of every week. <laughs> right, this is normal. And I think the, the quicker we learn that, the less painful the process will be. I know we could talk forever about all I know. Oh, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Is there anything that you think we might have missed in this conversation that you want to share? Oh, yes. Okay. There's one thing. So people ask me actually, like even my peers that I went to school with, because I, I went to OT school at USC. That's where I got my, my master's okay. degree. Probably like the most expensive place I could have picked. <laughs> private university, whatever, but I'll tell you how I picked it back in the day. Why did I didn't know much about it? My way was like, what is the number one OT school? And USC uh. came up and I was like, there, that's where I'm going to go. Uh -huh. <laughs> I wasn't thinking like, oh, what's going to be like student loan or debt or whatever. But I still have peers ask me, oh, so you're not doing OT anymore. And I think that's such an interesting question. And also I even hear my husband, you know, sometimes he's like, I don't know if like doing this PT was like the best, you know, decision. Like, I have this degree. I don't really know if I like want to do this forever, but here's my thought on it. When someone asked me that I'm, I really feel like all the skill sets and all the knowledge and all the information, like it shows up in my work still. For example, when I'm coaching a client, okay. I remember my skill set for doing evals. And doing them very efficiently in the skilled nursing facility setting, I would go into the room, be like, bam, bam, bam. Like, as you know, like you have a certain amount of time, you need yeah. to get a certain amount of information, and then you still need to go write the eval, right? Right. <laughs> and like document or whatever. And, you know, and a bunch of other things. And like, I have to sit up the patient and like, you know, sometimes literally sitting up a patient takes like 30 minutes, depending on how involved their whole situation is. But here's where I'm going with this. I noticed when I started coaching, how great I, I was. And I didn't even really connect it until once I got into coaching, how great I was is like, when I have a client come to me with something they're, you know, trying to figure out, I'm really good at like, bam, 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 give me the data. Let's look at the information, like really dialing in mm -hmm. at like, essentially I'm evaluating. And so obviously I learned a bunch of skill sets when I got certified as a life coach, but I already had a bunch of skill sets. And so when people ask me like, oh, so you're not an OT anymore. I really believe like I have those skill sets. In fact, on my website, I'm like refreshing my website right now. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to add the USC logo at the bottom on my about page. Okay. Because I'm like, this is part of my skill set. Like I have a master's degree in occupational therapy and USC specializes in lifestyle redesign, by the way. Oh, and like, yeah, all of that is a part of my skill set that I bring 
it's on all of that stuff is on my tool belt. You will never take it away. Right. It's right. like 10 years, even the 10 years of experience of just like this whole ability to just walk into a room with someone you've never met. You're only going to talk to them for like 30 minutes. You're going to get all that information and the skill set of being able to have that be a personable interaction where you build rapport in a matter of like minutes. And they're, they're in a situation where like, maybe they feel as disabled as maybe they felt ever. Like that is such a skill set, right? Like that comes with me. And so I think that that's important because I know that people can feel like, oh man, I wasted like $80,000 or whatever, right. $50,000, however much it was on this thing. And like, I don't even know if I'm going to do that anymore. But for me, I find it very powerful to be like, oh, it's, it's a part of my arsenal. Like all this mm -hmm. stuff is on my tool belt, you know, the 10 years of experience of doing that, of like talking to how many people a day building rapport how many times a day in, within like minutes. Right. So, so that's the, the only other thing I think that we wanted oh, to like touch thank on that. You. Yeah. Yes. So good. So tell the people where they can find you, follow you, join your program. Tell us all the things. Probably the best place would be on my podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I have a podcast I've been doing for four years now. It's called um, How to Lose the Last 10 Pounds. So it's pretty just clear. And so there's uh, over 200 episodes there now. So if you like to binge on podcasts, there you go. <laughs> and then also if you're, if, if you're someone that has struggled with your relationship to food, to weight, weight loss, etc., um, you can go to my website, brendalomelly.com forward slash apply, or just go to my website and you can look at that and see if that's something that might be a great match for you. But even, you know what else, Tavana, like, especially since your audience, I think from what we talked about, are healthcare professionals that are like building their own thing or wanting to, yeah. you could even just go check out my, my website to see an example of like, what does it sound like? for someone that has built their own thing and even specifically like a woman of color that's like doing it in her own way. What does that sound like? What could it maybe look like that maybe is different than something you've seen before? Like you can just go over there and like absorb whatever might be valuable um, in that way. You know, I think that's really important. Uh, I don't feel that I had a lot of examples of that to look at and so you know, that's one of the things that motivates me. It's like, I want to be an example of that, even if it sometimes is scary. Yeah, <laughs> even if sometimes, you know, or not sometimes, even if people will judge and have opinions because, because on the flip side of that, this, you know, for so many people is like exactly what they're wanting and needing, you know? And so anyways, those are the two places where they can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for, for being here. And if you're wanting help on the business side of things, go to TavanaDenise.com forward slash momentum, and I will see you there.